Welcome to Show Your Scars with me, Jordan Angeli. Using my experience as a former professional athlete, I will take you inside the journey back from a devastating injury. Although we may not choose for this to happen to us, we appreciate who we become in the process. Now, let's dive into this week's episode as we share our strength and show our scars with pride. What's up, Show Your Scars? Welcome to another episode where we talk about a journey through recovery and how our scars in the end signify all that we've been through, the strength that we've gained, and how we've come through on the other end as a better version of ourselves. I think you guys are going to really like this one because there is so much inspiration within this entire episode that will really keep you on your toes and wanting to know more. I have someone who has played in three World Cups, two Olympics, is a bronze medalist in the 2012 Olympics. She set some Penn State all-time soccer records as a goalkeeper, and this woman is an overcomer. She's had three ACL injuries and is back for more trophies, more Olympics, more World Cups. Erin McLeod is a all-star goalkeeper in the women's soccer world. She is a Canadian international and like I just said, she has played at the highest level in the world stage. Right now, she is on the brink of being maybe named to her fourth World Cup ever. We talk a little bit about that and what that would mean. But really, Erin and I get into who she was growing up, how she found soccer, what it was like uh, to live in different places in the world and learn about the sport in that way, and how she overcame her three ACL injuries to now be smarter in the way she trains, to be still pushing and playing at the highest level, and what she learned in the process of who she was beyond an athlete. There's a lot of insightful information here, and you get to know who Erin is, not only as a person, an athlete, an artist, but you get a little taste of what she's been through and how she's overcome. So I really hope you guys enjoy this. Here she is, goalkeeping extraordinaire, Erin McLeod. All right. Hello, Erin. I'm so excited to chat with you. We've known each other for a long time. Never were teammates, but like <laughs> always saw each other from the other side of the field. So um, yeah, I'm excited to chat with you. How you doing? Good. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah, it'll. Um, you have such an incredible story and journey, and I'm excited for people to hear that. So, before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of all the stuff that um, you know you've overcome, I kind of want people to know a little bit more about you. Like, can you give us a synopsis of who you are, where you're from, and maybe a little like overview of um, where you are now? Sure. So. Um... I am Canadian, obviously. Uh, I was born in Edmonton, or just a small place outside of Edmonton. And um, I grew up, obviously, in hockey culture. Yeah. <laughs> so my hero, when I was about five years old, when I started playing soccer, was Wayne Gretzky. Like, I wanted to be an NHL player, and then I found out at the time there was no women's uh, NHL. So mm-hmm. I started on um, other sport avenues, basketball being one of them, and then soccer being the other Um, and yeah, so I kind of grew up, uh, soccer was my number one for as long as I can remember. And, um, I have a, you know, 
pretty cool story, I think, because my my dad actually ended up getting a job in Indonesia um, when I was in the ninth and tenth grades. Um, and so we went overseas, which was really cool experience just from mm-hmm. a life perspective. And then I ended up moving in with my grandma, who I still call Rumi, um, in the 11th and 12th grades so that I could get some exposure and get a scholarship to to go to I went to SMU for my first two years and then Penn State so um yeah and I've been basically with the national team program since 2001 I'm playing with people that are uh, half my age uh, which is always <laughs> hilarious uh but they keep me young I'm grateful for that and now I'm I'm playing in Sweden this place called Vekre it's spelled V-A-X-J-O and I say it wrong every day but um yeah, it's a small town. It's a wonderful club. And um, yeah, I'm 36 years old. I'm so grateful to still be playing. Um, I've been to four World Cups at this point, And is it four, 2003, seven, 11? Yeah. yeah, four World Cups. And my I would really, really love to go to this next one. But, um, you know, I've been in it so long. And there's a very, it's always really competitive in Canada yeah. as far as goalkeeping is concerned. So um, that's my hope. But um, I'm here till the end of November either way. And, um, yeah, I'm just happy to, that I'm still playing the game that I love through everything. Yeah, that's amazing um, to be to four World Cups. Five. Didn't Sawa go to five? Yeah, and now, there's, a, there's a handful of them. I think there's like eight women who have been to five yeah, yeah. or something like and that. And this year, if Formiga goes, it'll be her sixth. She's like she's like Benjamin Button. That woman is, is unbelievable. Like, isn't that crazy? Every time I see her, I'm like, she just doesn't age. It's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. we're just giving people a little bit of um, soccer, women's soccer history here. Um, yeah, but so exactly. many things that you said there just in growing up is I'm always curious about how people grew up because I feel like things that we experience when we're younger, like little moments, really um, can shape the things that we want to do like moving forward. And, and for you, if there would have been a hockey um, maybe you would have played hockey, right? And like, maybe if you didn't go to Indonesia, like did, did what happened in Indonesia? Did you, were you continuing playing soccer there? Like, did that help you shape your career and like shape your love for the game in a different way that uh, maybe you wouldn't have experienced playing in Canada? Um, I mean, I think the first year that I was in Indonesia, I was, um, still young enough to play with like this boys, um, this boys league. And I was at an international school, but there's a lot of international players there. And at the time, like Canada had soccer Saturday, we had soccer on once a week and it wasn't like such a big deal, but in the rest of the world, soccer is like the biggest sport, you know? So at the time, like, um, I played with all these like little ballers. They were so good. And, and then the next year I was too old for the boys league. And, um, I ended up being, um, this will give you the idea of how good the girls team was that I played on. I was the star midfielder. Um, so it was, (laughs) uh, so that was funny at a first and a last, uh, but, um, so I kind of knew, from a very young age that if I really wanted to follow my goals, I had to make a lot of sacrifices and Mm. I was away from my family for two years and I ended up like, it ended up being a good experience, but, um, and even just living in Indonesia, like the concept of, um, just gratefulness. And Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember driving to school and looking at families, like, uh, literally living in cardboard boxes, um, as far as poverty is concerned. So, it was really important for me at the time. I was like a miserable bratty kid, but looking back, it really sh- helped to shape my view of the world. And um, soccer is 
this is always a struggle. Like soccer is really important to me, but it's not everything. And yeah. There's so many things in life that are so much more important. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes when you're, you're, you're not seeing or exposed to some of the hardships in the world, um, you don't really know that they exist or you don't think about it. So it's, uh, that was important for me. It's also a big thing that I tell people all the time is in injury recovery is like, if you can just have a different perspective of like, yeah, this is, I'm not saying this is not hard because it is hard. Like you and I have been through the ringer, right? It is hard. But like when you have a different perspective of like, okay, well, it's not this and it's not something worse. Like it could be a lot worse and just being able to step outside of yourself and to see something beyond you and uh, change that perspective. It sounds like you had that from a very young age to really understand like how fortunate um, Mm. you were. Yeah. Well, and I think it's like ebbs and flows, right? Like totally. uh, Sometimes like, you know, things that are quite, you look back and they're maybe quite small or seem insignificant now are just everything. And, um, I think where injuries can be really challenging is, um, maybe they're not the most dramatic things in the world, but like for you in that moment, they are. And, and you also end up feeling kind of alone because rehab and that whole thing is, uh, the only one who's pushing you every day is you. So, um, it can, it can feel, uh, very isolating, um, which is hard for anybody, no matter what they're going through. Mm -hmm. Especially when you come from a a team sport, it's, it's very difficult and you play, I mean, playing soccer for, since you can remember, you said, and you had a little, little stint in the central midfield, but when did, when did you, (laughs) like, when were you like, I'm going to be a goalkeeper and I want to be a professional? Like when did those two realizations kind of come into play? So I, uh, so basically, you know, like I was 13 years old, I was playing midfield and I was, I mean, I wasn't the worst midfielder. I was like playing for my city team and I was like doing pretty well, but, um, my friend got injured and like most, you know, still now when people are like, who wants to go on goal? And everyone like puts their hand, both their hands down. They like (laughs) sit on their hands, you know what I mean? So, um, and my buddy just got hurt. So I like kind of jumped in and. I fell in love with it right away. Like I knew right away that that's where I was supposed to be. Um, and I, I mean, I kind of played midfielder a little bit, but after, yeah, after that, I kind of, I just kind of knew that I was meant to be a goalkeeper. Um, Can you describe and then that pa- feeling? Like what would you, do you remember that, what it felt like or why it felt like home? Yeah, totally. Well, like, have you seen the, <laughs> the cartoon movie, like Walt Disney's Hercules? Oh Yeah. Have you seen Not that? in a okay, while, so like, oh, I haven't seen it in a while, but yes, I've seen it. Okay, so there's, like, a scene where Hercules is, like, being tested by these demons, and, like, there's one demon that comes out, and he, like, defeats it, and the, you know, the town is, like, nobody, you know, like, they're all kind of, like, moody and grumpy, and anyway, the town kind of, like, starts cheering a little bit, and then he kills this monster with, like, three heads, and then the crowd's like, oh, okay, they're, like, starting to get into it, and then he, like, literally takes on, like, 20 monsters, and mm-hmm. almost gets killed, and destroys them all, and the city's like, yeah! <laughs> so, I can equate it, like, that's exactly what happened the first time I played in goal. Like, I made a oh, gosh. save, and, yeah. the fa- and the parents were like, oh, she's not bad, and then I, like, made another save, and by the end of it, I was, like, the player of the match, and, like, you know what I mean? And it was, like, it was literally that moment from Hercules, I was like, yeah! Um, so that was, and I was like, this is awesome. Right. It was also like, so there was that. And then I got to play, like, I have two sisters and my older sister, you know, and like totally like middle kid syndrome. I just like wanted to be my older sister. She's so much cooler than me. And, and so like, I just, um, I got to play up 
on uh-huh. her team. Yep. You know what I mean? And I was like, this is like, I have made it. So yeah. that was, that was, for me was it. Like my dad okay. was the coach or he was the assistant coach. You know, it was like a family affair. It was great. Um, so it was like the thrill of a save and it is still the thrill of a save. Mm, like, I bet. Um, you know, um, I've gotten a little bit better at trash talking over the years, but um, I will say that it is just, yeah, that <laughs> rush when you make a save and, if it, you know, if you're doing it in front of 50,000 people or, or nobody, it's uh, the same feeling. I I've, think. I've always thought about goalkeepers a lot because one, I was so bad. The only reason I wanted to play in goal <laughs> when I was younger is because you guys yeah. wore a cool jersey and like they were all like bright geometric prints. So I was like, wow, I want to wear that. <laughs> And then I realized very quickly that it was not for me. But what is really intriguing to me about goalkeepers is like you can do nothing for 60 minutes, right? Like not be challenged at all. And you guys have this like mental fortitude to like be so in tune to the whole entire game that in that one half a second where you have to make that save. So I think it's probably the combo of that, right? It's like they need me now and I did it. And like – and typically those kind of saves are like big saves too. Right. So it's right. just like this combination of all these things that come together. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like being like the perfect Zen master, you know, you have to like be totally calm and wait for your moment and then, you know, you got to like pounce and be ready to go. So, um, I do like the combination. I've gotten yeah. like really good at singing songs and like doing my own thing back there, but also like, <laughs> you know, my communication is, I think now like, I'm like actually passionate about organizing my defenders because that's, it keeps me totally engaged. Mm -hmm. And um, I had the pleasure of working with uh, Carrie Evans for a while. Who's he's now the sports psychologist with the um, small team called the New Zealand all blacks. And yeah, minor. he's, he was absolutely phenomenal, but he, he literally says to all of his athletes, like breathe in for three seconds and out for four seconds. And it's like, if you focus on that, no matter whether you've made a mistake or whatever, it like brings you back to the present moment. And, um, you know, like, it's just like the, the most simple thing. And it's so true. I apply mm-hmm. it whether I'm training or in games. And, mm-hmm. um, so I think that is very important for, for goalkeepers, especially is to just always be focused. Right, that's cool. And I am excited to talk to you a little bit more about that. Cause I know that's a big part of, um, your, your life and how you've gotten through all this stuff is like the Absolutely. mindfulness aspect. But I, I want to first start with, um, just, you know, you, you thought that this dream was going to have, like you wanted to pl- be a, a soccer player. Like what did you, f- you do to make it come true? Because you were with the national team at a very young, like a, a fairly young age. So, so what was it that you can like look back on and say, okay, this is how I, how you made that happen? Um, yeah, well, I think, um, actually was having this conversation the other day. I, I feel very grateful in the sense that I think I was kind of born with a drive that, um, I don't mean this in an arrogant way, but that, um, I've just always been blessed with this drive. I don't know where it has mm-hmm. come from. Um, and I think that's really uh, gotten me to this level. And, um, I'm reading this awesome book actually. It's called grit and it's so um, good. Yes, I think I have it. And- I'm trying to see if I have it right there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's a, it's a phenomenal book. It, I mean, it comes down to, um, you know, like people that have talent. Um, I mean, and that's just obviously a very small part of it. It's the people that are willing to do the work and try again and again and again and fail again and again and again. And, um, and I think 
for me, um, I mean, I've always kind of <laughs> sort of throw all these books at you. I've always kind of had like a fixed mindset, like failure for me was something I always took very, very hard and uh, mistakes were something I always took really hard. But I was always just so driven that um, emotionally I would get through it. And I remember when I was like 14 years old, we had a pool table in our basement and uh, I would like. I, I had this like tiny size two or three soccer ball mm-hmm. and I would just like kick it against the pool table over and over and over and over and over. And I would just work on like, I would just dribble. I would do it all in the backyard and when it was too cold. I would like, I would do all my skills in the basement. And this was like after already training or after doing something, you know, like, uh, or a homework break. And I was just always, uh, making an effort like soccer Saturdays. It was on once a week. Right. So I had to wake up earlier than my sisters to, because cartoons was also on Saturday. So, um, (laughs) and back then we, you know, you had one TV and um, fight over the remote. That's right. right. Um, so, but I was also, um, I didn't really know always that I wanted to be a professional soccer player. Like I do. I remember this specific moment. I was five years old, um, standing in front of the TV with my whole family and we're like obsessed with the Olympics, my family. And it was the Winter Olympics, 1988. And Elizabeth Manley, I'm showing how old I am, but Elizabeth Manley, who's Canadian, she like had the skate of her life and she ended up winning a silver medal. But like what I remember is like seeing this woman bawling at the end of her performance because she had just skated mm. out of her mind. <sighs> and that's something that resonated with me. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't know how, but I was going to go to the Olympics. And I decided when I was five. Um, and and I even had this like hilarious, my mom keeps these like uh, classroom photos. It's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And yes. Was, that was the year I was like, I want to go to the Olympics. And um, and yeah, like, I think I kind of realized like when I had my Hercules moment, um, that, um, uh, I had this talent, which mm-hmm. obviously has to be there. But then I also knew that I had this drive and mm-hmm. I would, I was just kind of always obsessed. I, uh, sometimes in a good way, like I remember going for runs, uh, at the end of a long school day and training and I would go home and I had this like little loop that I would do around the neighborhood and I was tying myself. I would be like killing myself to get one more second off my time. Um, and I just, I just always did it. I just always did it. And like, sometimes, you know, like I actually developed an eating disorder, um, as well. Like I, I was obsessed sometimes, um, too far, you know, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, eventually I kind of like figured it out that discipline was my strength and I was going to use that, um, to my advantage. So, um, so yeah, I've had a lot of obviously struggles uh, without the injuries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, cause life happens, but, um, yeah, I just always feel grateful. And I think, uh, it's in the family, like my, my grandma who, um, I love dearly passed away, uh, in the summer and she's 97 years old and she was waking up every morning still doing her uh, abs and she was like doing a crossword a day and um, to keep her mind fresh, yeah. you know, and, uh-huh. um, and so it's just cool. Cause I know where I got that from. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really interesting thing. I think you said there and um, is that all these, you know, we're going to start talking about your successes and how long you've been with the Canadian national team and you've been to Olympics and World Cups and you have a bronze medal as an Olympian, you know, like all these yeah. cool things in, in your success, but there were failures and struggles and, and everything, you know, mixed in there. And I think 
as humans, we want to back away from the failure. We want to back away from the struggle because it feels like it's not getting us to where it should. But a lot of the times, those are the things that lead us to where we really need to be, like help us work through the things, um, you know, you were just mentioning the, the hard things that happen in life that pop up that we have to work through to know that we have discipline, to know that we can like come back to our true self. So um, I just think that you, you know, it's interesting that you kind of had that within you already before you had, was that your first major injury in 2008 when you tore your ACL or had you been... Um, um, I actually, when I was at Penn state, I tore my labrum in, ha- in half in my shoulder. Oh, wow. Um, and that, let me tell you, like, I know this, these are all ACL listeners here, but, um, <laughs> that one, I, I could go without ever doing that one again. That was yeah. pretty brutal. It was a nine month recovery and that one was pretty painful. I would probably equate that to my third ACL, um, surgery and recovery, but, mm-hmm. um, Uh, Well, that too, your shoulder, you know, eventually I want to get this podcast to a place where it's not just for ACLs, right? Like scars are scars. And I think all scars have, have a story. And like that recovery is very interesting because, um, you know, I talk a lot about knees, but your knee, your, your knees really go like front and back, but your shoulder goes every single direction. It's (laughs) a ball and socket. And as a goalkeeper, you are uh, landing on that a lot. So I would imagine that it took a lot yeah. mentally to get back to a place where you felt comfortable doing what you could do. Absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, I think, I think the cool thing about whether it's an injury or failure or whatever, it's like it's an it's a perspective opportunity. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny for so long I have like been afraid of failure. I've been ashamed of mistakes. All this like emotional uh, garbage that I've associated with these things. And I read a quote like I think it was probably like six or seven years ago that was like successful people fail twice as often as regular people do. Mm. And it kind of, it was so important for me at the time because it was like, it was a total mindset shift because it was like, and when I was mentioning that I had a fixed mindset, that's kind of um, what I meant. Like I'm Mm -hmm. afraid of these mistakes, but um, if you don't make these mistakes, you have absolutely no idea what you're capable of. And, and so for me, I, uh, I mean, I, I'm, you know, it's ingrained in me now. So like now when I make mistakes, I have to like write in my little journal and, and say like, you really pushed yourself out of your comfort zone today. And that's so important. And the second I stop making mistakes, like, um, you know, then I should stop doing whatever I'm doing. Um, you know, it's, um, so I, I think that failures are so, so, so important. And the cool thing, or, um, after my shoulder injury, like, um, I kind of, it gave me a lot of time and you're on your own a lot when you're doing rehab, right? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't have to tell you, but, um, it also gives you an opportunity to reinvent yourself and you can see it as, oh, it's like devastating. And yet it is. And I think it's totally normal and totally important to give yourself that time to like get through the devastation and the, and how hard it is and, and like the physical pain, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, but I think just kind of redefining who you are, you know, every time I've been injured and had a major setback, I'm like, what keeper do I want to come back as? What person hmm. do I want, want to come back as? And, and you have the time to invest in yourself. Yeah. And I mean, when you're, you know, like now I'm, every time I'm going anywhere, I got a podcast or I've got a book in my ear and, um, there's you know, never a dull moment. You have a, every moment you can use to learn. So, uh, and I learned that through my injuries. Yeah. What would you say, you know, looking back, so um, maybe after that first injury, 
with your, your shoulder, what changed the most from you from that perspective? Like, how did you reinvent yourself? Do you remember something specifically that you really focused on? Um, the first time I just remember the shoulder surgery. I mean, this is like 2006, so it's a while ago, but, um, but I, um, I've always prided myself in hard work. Um, and, um, I think kind of just like attention to detail. I was working with Tim Rosenfeld was a goalkeeper coach. I was working with at Penn state and, um, he just, he came out, we went out early a couple times every single week and, but we had to start to be more creative. So I actually started, I remember we were in a tennis court or a a squash court Uh and he, he brought a, like a box full of tennis balls and he literally was like whacking them off like the corners. And I was just, it was like reflex training. Hmm. And I would say to this day, reflex, like my reflexes. And as you age, obviously, especially on, on, with women, aging athletes, like uh, their reaction time um, increases significantly as it gets slower and slower, right? So it's something that if you're, uh, you know, like my position requires you to have very yeah. fast reflexes. So it's something that I continue, you know, it's funny, I had friends here and I was literally, same thing. I'm like looking at a corner and just having someone behind me, like chucking tennis balls uh, at the wall. It's still something that I'm doing. And it, it's, uh, I started that. And I think um, creative training is like, you get that from it, from injuries, you know, mm-hmm. so many times um, I had a lot of foot injuries in the fall and I did all my training off my knees, basically. You know what I mean? So um, you just find a way. And uh, it's, a, it's a good way to think outside the box. And mm-hmm. I think that's when that started. And, um, yeah, and I think, like, the other injuries, like, you just kind of get used to um, the game evolving. And uh, that's another nice thing about being injured. You kind of get to observe what's happening now and, and then where you think the sport's going to be, you know. And yeah. then you can kind of be prepared for the shift like now goalkeepers are the 11th player on the field. And that was not the case when I started. Yeah. Um, so just to watch that. And that was like, um, I knew I had to, have to increase my tactical awareness and I knew I had to increase my, my foot skills. So like that was, um, you know, my last ACL. That's what I like really focused on. I watched, I was watching like four or five soccer games a week. Yeah. Uh, mostly on the men's side, but it was mostly just like to, to find a way, to find a right. way to make sure that I wasn't a step behind when I came back. That's really interesting and a good way to use these as like growth opportunities. And um, because there's going to be challenges no matter what you decide to pursue in life. And like it's your perspective and your will to get through them and and to use them as a way to get better. And for we're going to kind of like overview your, your three ACLs and um, (laughs) because I feel like, but, but I want to like talk about each one a a little bit specifically that, that first one was at the Olympics, correct? And um, 2008, what was, what's that, um, you know, no, not a lot of people will get to that level. Number one, you got there, you had been to the Olympics before, but um, can you recall that day and like what, what that was like? Did you know immediately what had happened? Um, I didn't actually. And, um, I, I was tested like, um, I was tested right after the, uh, or during the game was still happening actually, because I came out in the middle of the, I think it was the first half and Karina went in and finished the game and I got tested in the locker room and I didn't really know how bad it was and I had never done anything to my knee before. So, um, 
I, I, I remember like not being sure. And, uh, but it is kind of funny that you talk about, we were just talking about failures and mistakes. I, um, at that point had been the starting keeper for Canada for about a year. And I was actually in a really bad place mentally. I was like, so, so afraid of making mistakes. Hmm. Um, and what I, what I now I'm telling people, but at the time I was kind of, I was like hoping for an out. So when I, when I found out I was like really injured, I was like totally relieved to be honest. And I was Mm -hmm. like, and that was when I totally knew that I had to do something different because here I am doing something that I'm supposed to love more than anything in the world. And I'm like hoping to get injured or hoping something's going to happen. So I get taken out of the game. Um, so that was for me, that was like the beginning, I guess, of my mental uh, development um, of the game and all the mindset shifts and the mindfulness. And um, I started to realize, like, I shouldn't be, you know, this shouldn't should be terrible. I'm like at the top of the game and I'm, mm-hmm. um, I'm hating every moment of it. So, um, so and like we, we talked about, I had a lot of time to myself to like really figure out um that I needed to change that. So that was kind of the first injury. I had a, um, a hamstring, uh, reconstruction was my first one. Um, and yeah, I had a lot of troubles right from the beginning. I think I, I actually slipped on the ice like the second day. Oh gosh. And I like tore my hamstring a bit more. And so that my hamstring was just like, yeah, it was a struggle more than my ACL. It was more Mm -hmm. my hamstring to Mm -hmm. get back. Um, so it was a long recovery, but it was also looking back, talking about grit. Um, I was working two jobs. I was opening a gym. Uh, I would get there at five 30 every day. I would, uh, then be done at 10 30. I would work out. I'd do my rehab. Then I have goalkeeper training. Then I go work out. Then I go work at the airport for a couple hours at this like retail, uh, sport clothing store. And then I'd go to sleep. Wow. And I did it every day. And, um, you know, like, it's cool now. It's so cool now because there's professional soccer players that are making bank, you know, mm-hmm. I'm still not one of those, but, um, <laughs> but you know, and it's just, again, the, the game has changed so much, but, um, yeah, that, that year, I think I grew a lot. Um, and I really, you know, realized how lucky I was before that to yeah. do what I love, to not have to work two extra jobs to, um, yeah, it was, it was like my gratefulness year. I think I was like, wow, I like mm-hmm. had a great, I was playing at the Olympics. And, um, so, uh, it was an important year, I think for my life, not just for my knee. Yeah. In that rehab, did you find that? Cause one thing you said before is that like, you always prided yourself on working hard and, um, mm-hmm. putting in the work. I think one of the most challenging points for, for me personally is like in this rehab, there's points where you just like, can't work harder like that Mm. if you work too hard you're actually increasing swelling or or making it harder for Mm. your for your knee to recover did you find that challenging because I I always struggled with that absolutely and and for me it was not so much my knee like my knee was like really great it was my hamstring yeah that first one it was really my hamstring and if I pushed it too much like I could feel it in my hamstring the whole almost the whole time so that was kind of um, that's what held me back. And yes, like working hard is, and it's still something I struggle with today. You know, mm-hmm. like I've always like worked harder than everyone else. That's kind of been like my motto and yeah. I can't do that. I can't do it anymore. And especially in, in rehab, like you, and especially my last rehab, like you just, um, there are certain things you can't 
do. And I think that's when um, I found those moments to like be creative, you know, yeah. either mental training or whether it's mindfulness or like the tennis balls, you know, you mm-hmm. can do that in a chair. I, I've done that in a chair many, many times. And um, so you just find different ways and then you, you find ways to just be, you can still work hard. You just have to be smarter. Mm-hmm. And then, so that that's the first recovery and maybe like um the timing of it was kind of i i never want to say perfect but i feel like everything happens for a reason right because <laughs> yes, you get injured absolutely. and then there's a professional women's league that comes up and you get to play in that league is that um did you play in 2009 or did you start in 2010 after that recovery um i think oh my gosh like it's like all blurred in now, but I think it was 2009 I started. Mm-hmm. That's when yeah, the league with, started, yeah. Yeah, with Washington. I was, yep. Yeah, I was with them in 2009, which is really cool because Nikki Wright, who was a former Canadian national team goalkeeper, was a goalkeeper coach, and I thought she hated me, actually, when she got the national team because I was, like, on my way in with the national team. Okay. And she was, like, on her way out, and I was like, Nikki hates me. And, and she was like, hey, Erin, it's Nikki. Like, we're trying to get you on the team. And I was like, Huh? <laughs> and uh, it's, I mean, Nikki and I are really good friends now, and yeah. she's wonderful. And um, anyway, I just, I'll, I'll never forget that. But um, yeah, so I was, it was so, uh, you know, it's a dream come true when you get to play professionally for the first time. And, and a lot of times, like like anything in life, like you work really hard and you kind of feel like you get your break. And yeah, so I was grateful for that. Good. Yeah. And um, the second year of WPS, uh, about midway through the season, you get injured again. And uh, yeah. same knee. Yeah, yeah. Has that always been the same knee? It has been. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What been. What did you so going into this this second rehab? Did you change anything about the way you approached it? Because for me, when I went into my second one, I thought you know the definition of insanity is doing the same time, the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, right? So like, I had to change something. I had to do something. Is there anything that you like looked back at and said, okay, maybe I'll do this differently? Um, so, um, I think what was different for me the second time is, um, it was hard because it's just so different. I, so I had a, um, a cadaver the second time and I was like ready to go almost like four or five months after. Like it was very, very quick. And, um, and Emily Fortunato, who is my athletic trainer, Washington Superior. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's great. And. Um, and we ended up being like best friends <laughs> and still are best friends, mm-hmm. one of my, uh, good people in my life. And, um, and she really, she pushed me as far as the range of motion, although I got that the first time around, but, um, I didn't have a lot of setbacks as far as yeah. anything like it, th- I would say out of all of them, that one was like, I was always so shocked that yeah. everything was going so well so quickly. And well, also that's think, a big change just to not go from, you know, you went from hamstring to cadaver that, that in sel- itself is a, yes. a big change, you know? So Absolutely. like you didn't do the same thing that you had done before. You were just like, okay, I'll do something different. And, um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, I've always felt really, um, lucky because I trust, uh, medical people <laughs> not not everyone's like eager to get under the knife and yeah. I'm like, you know like I didn't care but um and I I still remember the surgeon like sitting me down and being like this is like this is my surgery like give me give me this opportunity and I was like totally let's do it and um 
And yeah, like I think I working with Emily, I just did different exercises. She was so hands on Mm -hmm. and I worked with her every day. And I think for me, that was, you know, like a really big difference. Not everyone has access to that. And that's not sometimes not realistic, but, um, you know, like that was just, it was so nice to be playing professionally because that was really the difference Mm -hmm. that I just had someone full time. Um, and I'll never forget the range of emotions, like um, the, the curse, the cursing that occurred. Um, <laughs> <towards my laughs> right. Friend, you know? uh, but I think I think that's when I really started to um, to learn discipline with my recovery. Yeah. Um, if, if I can, um, you know, really say that that's when it really started. I was like doing um, I was doing the game ready. I was really like um, watching my sugar intake and my alcohol intake and um it became kind of like uh, I was focused on everything, I was sleep every night, and yeah. um, which, like, all make a really big difference. And uh, again, like diving more into myself and um, mindfulness, all those things. That's kind of when it, I was starting to play with a lot of those ideas. Yeah so many things there too. I always tell people is like, we can't compare ourselves a lot of times for, to professional athletes because like mm-hmm. they do have access, especially, you know, we, we played professional women's soccer, but we had access to a lot more than just a, you know, a youth player had access to, but these NFL players who have a, um, a mm. cook cooking them food. They have someone, <laughs> yeah. you know, regulating what they're eating. Um, they have a masseuse and a PT and, you know, all these, this access to recovery equipment that a lot of people don't like, it's not, I don't ever want people to be comparing one thing to another, but to say like, okay, um, I, I do want to find someone that I can feel comfortable with. Like Aaron felt comfortable with, um, Emily or, oh, she looked at her nutrition. She looked at her alcohol intake, her sleep. Like those are all really good things that I think people don't realize have such a huge impact on, on your recovery. And when people ask me, Hey, like, um, I'm not getting, the swelling's not going down. I'm like, well, what are all those things doing? Like, what are you doing with your diet? What are you doing with your rest? Are you sleeping? Are you, um, you know, there's so many little things that you can control that are hard right. and they, they require discipline, as you just said, but um, it's controlling the things you can control as opposed to saying like, I'm comparing myself to that person that it's not comparable, you know? Right. Right. But I also think like in the same breath, like, you know, uh, not even a year ago, I was in Yenna and I was making 500 euros a month and that, and that covered like, um, my food and living. So like I was making nothing and, and like, I found a way, like I found a way I would like literally go to like after training, we weren't that far from a river. I would go into the river after training and do an ice bath, you know, like, um, and People, you know, like everyone's like, oh, I can't just go and get an ice cup. I'm like, I have like six frozen water bottles in, mm-hmm. in in my freezer. Like, so yes, there's like excuses, but at the same time, like there's always yeah. a way. If you I have a that. bathtub, like put it to work. And um, and and honestly, like I'm not always like trying to promote social media, but there are so many resources now that like if totally. you don't have someone that's working with you, yes. then, then you can find a way you can find, like ask the question, put it out there. Um, I mean, obviously you guys are a wonderful resource, but um, 
yeah, I don't really like, <laughs> I don't really believe in excuses. And, yeah. and even when it comes to financially, like, um, you know, I've been, I've been in situations where I've had close to nothing and you find a way. So mm. it's just, again, just like training, it's just about being creative and like looking around your house and being like, Hmm, you know, like, iron. what can I, yeah. what can I do and make this work? That's really good. So. That's really good. Yeah. Um, you get through that one, and you're 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 back onto the field, and you have a you know a few successful years in between there, right? And um, yeah. get to go and win a bronze in the Olympics. How was that? Uh, yeah, that was like it was pretty unbelievable. Of course, uh, I mean Canada hadn't won an, a medal in Summer Olympic Games. Uh, the last time they had won something was 1936 which was like when hitler was in charge of germany it was in berlin i believe so yeah it had been a really long time and um it was just really cool like we obviously lost that semi-final game against the u.s Um, which i don't remember but that was wild yeah, it was a it was a wild game. I got called for six seconds, and there was like there was a lot of controversy around the game. But what was really cool about that moment in time is the viewership in Canada um, for that game. I can't remember what it was. I think it was uh, comparable. It was more than or or the same as the uh, men's hockey 2010 Winter Olympic final. Whoa! So, so the people just like everybody was watching that game, and it changed. I really think there's a lot of things that changed history, like of soccer in our country. But that was like a mm-hmm. very pivotal moment, and um, and then winning the bronze is just like I just remember there was when I was like, thank God, because we were not going to last through extra time. I don't think against France, and, <laughs> and they, I mean, the statistics were unbelievable. It was like they had like 24 shots, and I think we had one. You know, and we we made it count. So. Uh, <laughs> But it was cool because, um, you know, I'm totally a cheese ball and it was like all about connection and mm-hmm. um, it's just cool. You every all that hard work and like if you've done your ACL, all those like moments in the gym alone when you're like, can I do this again? And uh, those moments you just really dig deep, like everything just like there's just flashed by, you know, and it was just all worth it in that yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. And probably made that little girl watching the Olympics when she was five years old. So proud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, this last ACL though, just a couple years ago, 2016. No. Yeah. 2016. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the hardest thing that you've overcome? Absolutely. I think, and I took, to be honest, I think I like literally just got over it in in mm. the sense that, um, I rem- I mean, I remember I tore a little bit of it in a, t- in a tournament in December of 2015. And then, um, I tore the rest of it in the game against Costa Rica that we won that would send us like I did in the warm up. I asked for more tape. I got Advil and literally played the 90 minutes. We won the game and we were all celebrating and I knew I wouldn't mm. be going to the Olympics. Mm. So that for wow. me, it was like, it was a cool feeling, but it was like, it was devastating. It was really hard for me. Um, and even when the Olympics were going on, it was, it was really cool to see this team. But I, I knew that how good the team was. So for me to not be there was really challenging for me yeah. not to go. Could um, you watch it or? I watched some of it, yeah. but honestly, like um, people would ask me how Canada did, and I, I it was like a, a haze. I like couldn't. Yeah. It was yeah. It was really really heartbreaking, and I was I, I was depressed to be quite honest, and. Um, so that was challenging, but then, um, you know, I, 
the nice thing about rehab too is like you can feel every emotion and you get to do it by yourself so a lot of times you know I got the headphones in and I'm like crying or I'm doing whatever and um uh, I was grateful that I had something that was going to keep me busy every day at mm-hmm. that point um but yeah it was hard because uh, even when I did part of it in the December before even the qualifying tournament the, the doctor sat me down and he basically said Aaron like I think this is it like I think you should you know, like, I don't know how much soccer you, you want to play. Like, he kind of yeah. suggested it was time to give it up. Yeah. You know? um, Which is a hard conversation to be a part of. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and so, you know, he's like, you can tape it up and, and basically fight it out for the rest of the year. That was his suggestion. And I'm stubborn at the, the best of times. And uh so I did I taped it up I got it as strong as I could for the qualifiers and then I tore the rest of it and um I I didn't know for sure I had torn the rest of it um and then I like played 10 minutes in a Champions League game for Rosengard and then um and then yeah like did some other damage to my knee and Mm. then um and then I had this like miracle surgery um it was crazy because they because I had torn my my ACL so many times there was like a gaping hole in my tibia mm-hmm. and I was about to go under and they were like, this is two things are going to happen. You're going to go under and we're going to find out that your bone is not strong enough to withstand another screw or anything right. being done to right. it. So you'll wake up. We won't have done anything. Then we'll have to fill that hole and wait six months to a year for that to fill up and then do an ACL surgery, which meant my career was over. Or I could wake up in the most excruciating pain I've ever felt because they would take a sliver of my kneecap attached to my quad and that they would put that kneecap chunk in the gaping hole uh, with like a titanium screw that would become my new ACL and then I would get like this cadaver on the outside of my leg basically an extra to prevent torque. So I went to sleep. They put me to sleep and it was like I would see. I would wake up knowing my career would be done or I would keep going. How'd you, how'd you like get through that moment? Um, you know what? It was weird. I just kind of knew that I was going to wake up and I was going to keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you don't know for sure, you know, but I wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't worried. And, and then I woke up and I was like convulsing. I was in so much pain and, and I was okay with it. (laughs) You know, I was like, like, they did the surgery. This is is my chance. Yeah. So, um, so that was like emotional. And again, like I was, it was, it was a lot, you know, like going mm-hmm. through an ACL without anything else is, is very um, challenging, but, um, yeah. And so, um, and so I was, you know, back to square one and, um, and I was really grateful and, and humble about the way I came back. You know, I was like training with an under 19 Rosengard team and, you know, Ella would always be like, you can't do that. And I was like, I don't care. I just want to play. Yeah. And, um, and this, that, yeah, that rehab was tough. Like, um, it was slow and I had to be much more patient. And, um, but I, in a way I kind of knew like this was it. So like, this was my last chance and, um, I couldn't, heard it I couldn't rush it I couldn't mm-hmm. like it was really you know quite a blessing for me to even have this um, opportunity again so so I did the work and you know in, in hindsight like I'm so proud like I was able to make it back and play for a Rosengard and uh, you know even back 
being back with the national team. And the only thing that's uh, been a challenge now is like roles have changed, you know, and um, I'm no longer the, the starting keeper for Canada. And that took a lot of adjusting because I think every time I got hurt, I just like got back to the number one. And, yeah. um, and so, um, so that was kind of, that was tough. And um, actually I was watching a, a thing on, on Instagram. It was like Abby's speech, Abby Wambach talking about how her coach was like, you might not play one minute in the world cup and you know, she's still the highest has most yeah, goals most of goals. any human. Yeah. Maybe yeah. not for long. Cause sinks <laughs> catching her. She is, she's catching up. But um, anyway, and, and you know, she was obviously disappointed, but Abby was like, if I can't lead from the bench, I can't expect to lead from the field. Like you don't just choose to be a leader in one situation. You're a leader. And, um, and I really took that to heart. I bawled, I bawled when mm. I saw that and I was like, she's right. And, Karina LeBlanc, um, you know, in the 2015 World Cup, she was the third keeper. And she was the most enthusiastic day, person every single day. And I remember being like, I don't know how she does that. I don't know if I had that in me. And I do. It took me a while to get there. But, mm -hmm. like, and now she's, like, you know, kicking ass with CONCACAF and UNICEF. And she's doing all these wonderful things. But I honestly believe it was that year. She just decided to work on her state of being every single day and, And that's one thing that I think people are who are going through injuries or whatever, like just yeah. decide who you want to be. Mm. And if you get a setback, if you get swelling, if you can't get your range of motion, if you can't whatever, like um, it's hard, except that it's hard. Like right. take that to heart and then be like awesome and badass enough to be like, but I'm going to be this person yeah. and I'm going to be this person every day. And that's hard. It's really hard, but um, I think it's worth it. That's probably what I have learned. Yeah. My biggest learning from all my injuries. That's really cool. I just, before we got on, I posted something saying like, um, sometimes when things feel the hardest is when we know that we're maybe in the best, like the place that's meant for us, right? Like it's hard right. to, to have that state of being every single day, to choose being positive, to, to choose even when you are not going to feel like you are getting what you deserve. Like you mentioned Chris, Karina and her not playing, like she maybe felt like she deserved to play. It didn't matter. Right. She had, she, it was what it was and she had to decide and, and, and you, right are in that space and you've learned so much mentally through this. And that's the biggest reason I started the ACL club and um, started this podcast is because the mental side of recovery is like not spoken about and people, um, you know, yes, our PTs help us. Emily helped you people that you <laughs> yes. work with help you so much, you know, but um, you know, what are things that people can use to help to get them through. And you really did a lot of mental work. And, um, I actually watched a video that you did with LeClay about the, your unlocked project and the, and what you created yeah, for them. Yeah. And you spoke about, um, a sports psychologist, you worked with a Canadian national team and, um, how she really helped you get into mindfulness and choose to be present. Um, yeah. how has that developed and how have you seen that use of mindfulness help you in your, uh, not only your injuries and your recoveries, but like in, in your day-to-day -day life? Well, I think, so I think the mind is, is fascinating. And I think, um, I think, you know, you can, the, the cool thing about yourself is like, you can like literally discover things about yourself until the day you die and you can, <laughs> and you can improve on stuff, yeah. like, until, you know, like nonstop. So, um, but I think with the mind, what I've like really learned to accept is there, there are so many thoughts that go in and out of your mind that aren't you. 
And it's important to really understand that. Um, Hmm. What I think is like just the acceptance, um, you know, like it's the resistance, like um, Carrie Evans, again, back to Carrie Evans would always say, whatever you resist persists. And, and I think that's so true when it comes to the mind, like um, just accept that you're afraid, accept that you're going to have doubts and accept that there's going to be setbacks and accept that it's going to be so hard and accept that if you want to like that, you want to quit and that's normal and that's fine. You know what I mean? It's just, and also like, just because you're having that thought doesn't mean that that's you. Like, you know, like of course, how many times, man, if you would ask me every single day on my last, especially my last ACL recovery, like every day I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. I don't know if I can do this. And I'm still like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm still like, I don't know if I can do this. You know, like I have like little injuries and whatever. And, and that's fine, you know? And sometimes like now game days, I get this like nervous feeling. Um, and I'm like, okay, it's my body's way of telling me I'm ready, you know? And it's just about like reading the signals and really knowing yourself. I did a body scan the other day and it was absolutely incredible because it's like, my body reacts to stress in a certain way. I like hold it in my neck. Mm-hmm. And when I'm like super thrilled and so excited, I like it's in my belly and I can feel it. And just like same with your mind, like just recognizing these little things and to not be afraid of it. Just like, know that's part of how you're built. And it's not about fighting that. It's just being like, okay, you're there. I see you. I acknowledge you. And then like go on with your day. And, right. um, I think successful people, sometimes people think they're like these superhumans that don't feel like fear or nervousness or whatever. And I think they feel it and they just keep going because they know it's normal. And feeling it and like not resisting it to say like, okay, I accept this. Those, those thoughts don't have to determine your actions. And I think that's the, you know, like you can have that thought of being fearful, but it doesn't have to prohibit you from acting on what you are doing. Um, right. And I think that's a big thing about mindfulness too, is just being aware and accepting the thoughts that come into your mind and letting them go if they're not serving you, you know, just like letting it go. And, um, it's cool that you have found something that is, you know, it's, I think the other thing about it is challenging. And so that every day, you know, that you've gotten through, like, if you do your, your meditation or your mindfulness, like, you know, that you've put in work to that, that's hard, right. That challenges you and with challenge comes growth. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, like, and that's the thing too, like a lot of times if you are going through a lot of doubt and a lot of fear, then you're probably about to really improve in something. Like the moments where you feel uncomfortable is like when you're actually leading mm-hmm. towards growth. So mm-hmm. it's like when you are totally uncomfortable, be like, this is it. Yeah. Like I'm living, I'm learning. And um, yeah, and being like, I think that's, that's awesome. Because when you're comfortable and, you know, I was talking to um, a goalkeeper about this the other day. I'm like, I get to go to my job and be like nervous and scared and feel all these things. And I get to feel all this. Like a lot of people go to work and they like get their coffee and they're like checking (laughs) their watch to see when the day is over. Yeah. It's a really good point. And, uh, and sometimes people are like, I'm complaining about these ranges of, of emotion. And I'm like, well, in rehab, man, you feel it all. And, and it's, it's something I think I've become really grateful for because you get to feel all that. And I'd rather feel like everything than than kind of be numb and be complacent and be comfortable. Wow. You really get to feel alive. 
Like you're yeah, living. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. One of the other things I think that's really cool about you is you're like super artistic. And um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Is that something that you always had inside of you? Do you feel like that helped you in your rehabs to have an outlet that was creative in that process? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's important to do something that you love every day no matter what it is because it's like me time and um for me I just feel so lucky like I talked about Wayne Gretzky when I was five I would like rush home from school so I could teach myself how to draw Wayne Gretzky and of course the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles so like (laughs) how can you forget Um, amazing yeah so and I so I've always like loved it and um I'm so fascinated by artists that do something for the first time, like Picasso's or like just the way their minds work that like they totally made this up, you know, mm-hmm. like it just baffles my mind. So I think I've been like in search of that. I'm still searching, but, yeah. um, but it's for me, it's so meditative when I draw, it's like, um, I'm, I'm an overthinker. Uh, I have a hard time falling asleep at night, like every night because I'm thinking so much. Um, and when I draw, it's like, nothing there's nothing going on upstairs and um it's awesome so um yeah that's uh I've been really really lucky for for that and uh I still do other mindfulness stuff but um the drawing is like it's just it's wonderful and I think too like um you like totally silence your brain and I think that's actually where you get a lot of your creativity from Mm -hmm. and I think um it's just it's nice to have that outlet but I think it's really kind of important for my soul to be honest oh for sure well I think that's one of the things we get with sports too is like we get to be creative and like have a little outlet and then when we when that's taken away we don't get to tap into that creativity so I'm always telling people like um for you that was inside like you you had already discovered that 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 was something that you loved to do um but some people are like oh I don't have time to do this I don't have time to do that well one of the things about when you're rehabbing is you have a little bit more time to like, you can't go out and run those extra miles. You can't, you know, at certain points. So like, what can you do? Do you want to learn photography? Do you want to draw? Do you want to sing? Do you want, like, what is it that right. like in excites your soul to help you feel like you're being you again? Absolutely. And it's, I mean, it is always, always, always worth the investment to yeah. invest in yourself. Yeah. I love it. I mean, what it's, nothing's better you know like why not mm-hmm. um okay I'm almost done with you this has been amazing okay. I I don't yeah. I kind of don't want it to stop because there's so many like <laughs> good nuggets in here that I can't wait to like clip out um but you have a lot of tattoos did you get any of your tattoos in this process like did you does anything symbolize your recovery or what you learned in your recovery um if yeah, no. absolutely. I mean, yeah. uh, I do. I mean, I have a funny one because, like, this is how old I am. So well, you we know, should be funny is, too. Like, it doesn't have to I all mean, be serious, right? <laughs> so, like, you know, you know, on your lower back, they they coined. I I got a, a lower back tattoo before they coined it the tramp stamp. It's okay. Yeah. And um, classic. I got because I had my shoulder surgery. I got desire in Japanese printed on my tramp stamp space, right? <laughs> so then it was coined the tramp stamp, and then it was like. People were like, well, at least what does it say? And I'm like, desire. Like, honestly, <laughs> could it could it be worse? Like, no, probably, probably not. Oh, my so gosh. So I have that one that I okay. will never be able to forget. Nope. Um, but I have a lot, like, Muhammad Ali is someone I just, I admire mm-hmm. as, um, as, as a human being. What I love about him is he was just a great human being. He wasn't yeah. just an athlete. Totally. And, um, and that's someone I would 
I mean, anyway, he's just... Which uh, doesn't surprise me that you connect with him because that's been something that you've you said from the beginning of this talk, right? It's like, I yeah. am not just an athlete. Like, I, I see everything that I'm so... Th- you know, that that has been you throughout this, not only your journey, right. but like what you've talked about in this podcast. Uh, well, well, thank you, first of all. I think that's something I have... My identity is something I have really struggled with for a long time because I oh I would be like uh, I'm Aaron and I'm the goalkeeper for Canada and um, I don't do that anymore which is really good but um, I think that's kind of the it's funny like you want to be a certain person your whole life and then you get to a point you realize that you are mm-hmm. or that you've it's been inside you you just have to like really trust and believe that so um, so yeah Muhammad Ali I uh, have so much respect um, for him obviously and. Um, I, I'm trying to think of other ones. Like I have have, a quote from him or a a portrait of him. It's a portrait of him. So I'm obsessed with Andy Warhol. I'm obsessed with a lot of artists. Yeah. Yeah. Andy Andy Warhol. I like obsess against someone. He just took screen printing to a new level. And, um, and he had this series of Muhammad Ali. Okay. And so it's like, wouldn't that be cool to have like two of my favorite things? So uh, I had an artist in Copenhagen kind of do a, uh, his rendition of Andy Warhol's Muhammad Ali series. So I have that on my arm. And at the same time, um, Maya Angelou um, wrote uh, Still I Rise is what beautiful poem. Um, And I have Still I Rise uh, also tattooed, which for me is significant in a lot of ways. I wrote a poem actually in the the 2012 Olympics that ended up being one of our motivational like videos. Um, But it just talks about like, it doesn't, you know, like no matter what, I'm going to rise again. Mm-hmm. And um, so that is my favorite poem. And um, after after the second ACL, when I really, like, really started to invest in um, my me- the mental side of the game, um, I read Jonathan Livingston Siegel, okay. which is a wonderful book. It's a short story, basically, and it's about um, – being limited by yourself, essentially. Yeah. And that that's normally what ends up limiting you and nothing else. And so um, so I didn't want to get a seagull on my arm. So I got an, I got an eagle, which kind of like represents that story. And so it's funny because people are like, what does this mean? And I'm like, do you have 10 minutes? Because yeah. you know, explain what this is. You should but, just put um, like a C next to it or actual <laughs> yeah. like waves. Well, it's a yeah, se- yeah, yeah. seagull. Yeah, yeah. And then... And then back to identity. It's actually cool because after my last ACL, um, I had, um, just different artists put on my arm because, um, I was like, you know, soccer has really defined a lot of my life, but Hmm. you know, there's so many other things. So like I have Gustav Klimt, who is one of my favorite artists. I have one of his pieces on my arm and Jean-Michel Basque, who was Andy Warhol's era. I have like his little like signature crown on my arm and um, cool. I'm running out of space and my mother has promised, like made me promise that I will not touch another limb, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. About that. Um, I love that because, you know, there's that talk of identity and like how we are so much more than just this one thing. Um, and I think oh. as athletes and I'm sure it happens to other people. I just, you know, we, we've been athletes for so long that I think that it just has been ingrained in us. that That's what we are. And uh, it's just like the smallest part of us. It's just a part of us. Right. Absolutely. And what I think now, and when I, when I talk about state of being is like, uh, I am so grateful that I've been an athlete for this long. Um, but 
the things that I have learned, like the armor that I have built from these injuries, like from knowing that I can push through just about anything physically, um, has enabled me to work on my like mental strength and my mental, you know, just that belief, like you're going to get through it. You're Mm going to get through it. Mm -hmm. And that is something like that. I think anyone who's ever had any type of surgery, um, you know, like you really are alone and like, you really have to like wake up in the morning and decide I'm going to go and I'm going to crush this rehab today, you know, and you have to do that every day. And that is, you do that by yourself. And it is the most, you know, it's like, uh, you're so grateful for it in the end because then you, you learn to depend on yourself. And if you can depend on yourself, man, you can do anything. Mm -hmm. I love that. Last, before my last question, I want to ask, um, I heard that you're, you're donating some of your salary to, um, Uh. help, beyond the pitch and like help with Mm. people in need. So I, I, you know, you speak, you just spoke of Muhammad Ali and how he was just a, you know, a great human. And I want to highlight this, what you've been doing. So, um, talk a little bit about that and why you got involved. So common goal is this really cool organization, um, that, uh, Juan Mata was a big part of starting it up. And basically what it is, you, you donate 1% of your salary and, Common Goal is kind of like this umbrella where like um, they have all these soccer organizations that they can donate money to and you just kind of initially give some of your salary and the hope is like the reason it's only 1% is the hope is you get, you know, as many uh, soccer professionals as possible um, donating to this and it's a small chunk and it makes like the world a difference. So Hmm. it's kind of like more of a collective idea and I'm recruiting hard right now. I don't even like, I don't get anything from it. It's not like I'm, I'm getting money yeah. or I'm getting, you know what I mean? It's just the, I just knowing, um, and I'm really, really proud of the girls. There's a lot of women on the, on the national team who are, are, um, doing the same thing. And I just think, um, I'm so proud, but it's also like every time I step on the field, it's about the legacy that you're going to be leaving. And John Herbin was a big part in, in doing that with the national team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think, um, yeah, I think it's about giving back. And I think obviously when you get older, you really realize that. But I think especially now the, uh, the women are making more and more money in the game. And, um, you know, women are like, I, you know, we're a bunch of badasses and we're taking over. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, and I think <laughs> what's, what's wonderful about women is, um, and men are this way too, but I just think like, um, the, the notion of giving back is just, mm-hmm. I think so natural. And, um, and so for me, I'm so excited to see, uh, the future and the women's involvement in this common goal is like, it's like 50, 50 men and women. It's really, really cool. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. And, yeah. um, uh, Again, I will, I'll be recruiting. If I haven't recruited any right. of you yet that are listening, I will be recruiting you. Um, but it's like a small, you know, it's always cool. And, and aside from that, I just think time, like if you can give your time to people, um, it's invaluable. I, I think sometimes people think, well, you know, I even ask some people like, oh, I don't make enough. And I'm like, okay, well then call a team, like have a FaceTime chat with your team and tell them what you've learned or, you mm-hmm. know, there's, there's, um, ways you to know, get involved. Fav- yeah, Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Always. And it just gives you, you know, you're talking about these people at the highest, you know, or, or these professional athletes, it keeps that perspective of, I'm so grateful to what I get to do and I can absolutely. give back. And, um, having that perspective, I think only helps you succeed. 
Absolutely. I think the more you give to the people around you, like it comes back twofold. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Last thing I always ask everybody this is this podcast is called show your scars. And, um, what do your scars mean to you? Oh, um, I coined my, my scars on my, my right knee, uh, my, my shark bite. Um, but I think for me, it's just, um, I think it just means like my pride and, and grit, you know, um, there will be things that people will never know that I did, you know, like, that's what I love about, you know, Muhammad Ali, he always says like, you know, the real work is like when nobody's watching and the lights are off. And I think that's what it is for me. Like, um, I came back three times at the, the highest level in the women's game and I'm 36 and, um, I will be proud of that for the rest of my life for mm-hmm. sure. Gives you that little taste that you were talking about with the the bronze medal you know where you could see all the work happen you look at your scars and you can see all the work that you put into it and um, really how it got you to where you are absolutely and the people I've met along the way and uh, I mean I think really that's what it's about it's connecting with people and like we said like bringing the most out of the people around uh, people around you and yourself and you really really learn what you're made of Mm -hmm. Erin thank you so much I've really enjoyed talking to you yeah thank you for having me on is so important to take care of yourself mentally and it's a big reason why I started this podcast because there's so much that goes on in your world as an athlete as a person that enjoys playing sports that you don't often have the time to think about what's going on on the mental side and Erin talks a lot about mindfulness and how that has helped her in continuing her game and continuing to get back from these injuries and these trials in life. So if you guys want any more information on that, please reach out. I have some great resources as far as mindfulness goes and people that can help you with that. And also you got to get the process. I worked for a year on the content of the process to help you through injury recovery. And it's all about working on the mental side and getting through those emotional and mental barriers that sometimes hold us back. And honestly, we haven't been taught to work through as athletes. So I put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into this and have some really great resources as far as mental strength coaches go as far as mental uh, health people, people in mindfulness field. So make sure you check that out. The process, go to our website, theaclclub.com, and you can check out the process there. It is well worth it. Believe me. Just want to thank Erin for sharing. And if you guys want to follow her, I'll link her information in the show notes. So such a great guest and what a answer for what her scars mean to her. I hope you guys think about what your scars mean to you and go out there and show your scars with pride.